Lord, for today, for a place to meet, for freedom, for the truth of your word. Lord, that your blessings upon us uh, are beyond our comprehension. Father, we thank you. ask you to conti continue to heal these little babies uh, and their families. Uh, and uh, just uh, help us to encourage them, help them what we can. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we will be beginning in Revelation next, next week. It'll uh, be our first uh, start up with the book of Revelation. So just be praying about that. Be reading it. Uh, if you have never read through it much, uh, be start reading it. And uh, we'll get started on that. But uh, because of today being the uh, uh, Valentine's uh, prior, uh, we're going to actually talk about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love and not just marriage, but just the concept of love, what that is, how does it look like, what does it look like. Paul gives us a pretty good idea in 1 Corinthians. You know, there's so many misconceptions about what that is. Uh, how, how is it supposed, what is it supposed to look like? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to just look at that in 1 Corinthians. Somebody tried to define love as love is that feeling of feelings you feel when you feel that feelings of you never felt before. That that's what it is. That's what love is. Um, it's complicated. It's absolutely more than an emotion. A pastor was called to a nursing home to perform a wedding. And uh, as he got there, this anxious old man met him at the front. And so the pastor was going to try to do some counseling with him. So we started asking him questions. He says, um, do you love her? He said, no. No, I don't. He said, hmm, okay. Uh, do you think she's a good Christian woman? I don't know. I don't know for sure. Does she have a lot of money? Is that why you're marrying her? No, I don't really know if she does or not. Then why are you getting married? He said, because she can drive at night. Well, there's a good reason. That's a real good reason, ain't it? Boy, that laugh. There's a lot of that nonsense. <laughs> One young guy was getting married, and uh, his mom had never met the lady, so he, he said, i tell you what, Mom, I'm going to bring three ladies uh, this week at your house, and we're just going to sit down, and I'm not going to tell you which one. I'm going to let you see if you can pick out which one it is I'm getting married. So he had two other ladies, and the lady was going to marry, but they agreed to it, just friends of his. So they all went home, and uh, they sat down on the couch and talked and talked and talked in a while, and, and uh, he goes in the back, but his mom said, you think you can pick out which one it is? He said, yeah. She said, yeah, absolutely. It's the redhead in the middle, in it. He said, yeah. How would you know? Because I don't like her. That's how I know. That's the way that works. Isn't that right? Love is a, was that, was that a song or a, a show? Love is a menacing thing. What was that? It was a show, wasn't it? I never saw it, but I just, just rang in my mind there was something about that. How about this one? A young boy in school was comparing his girlfriend, you know, why do boys and girls have girlfriends and boyfriends in eighth grade? I never got that. You know, I don't know why they hardly have them in the twelfth grade, but still. He was comparing his girlfriend to his friend, Paul, and he wrote a little poem. He said, Paul's girlfriend is rich and haughty. My girlfriend is poor as clay. Paul's girlfriend is young and pretty. My girlfriend looks like a bale of hay. Paul's girlfriend is smart and clever. My girlfriend is stupid but good. But would I trade my girlfriend for Paul's? You bet your life I would. 
<laughs> That's where they're going somewhere too, right? Well, unfortunately, there is a, a misconception, and it's gotten worse, of what that means. Let's look at it quickly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read quickly the whole chapter. You know, remember Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians, they have a lot of problems in the church. You know, people say, well, why do you write two letters? Because they have a lot of problems in the church. He wrote one letter that we don't have. He refers to it in one of these letters that, you know, and, and for whatever reason, God chose not to have that one in the canon of Scripture, so we don't have it, but we know he wrote, he wrote another one. But, you know, the reason why there had so many problems in Corinth was Corinth was San Francisco multiplied, about a thousand, as far as maybe evilness in that kind of lifestyle. Or anywhere else, Atlanta, by that way, in some parts of Atlanta, same thing. It, but some of these people had gotten saved and they were kind of moving some of that worldliness in the church, and th that's why they had so many problems, okay? But he writes this, and he says, I speak with, uh, If I speak with the tongues of men, of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. <coughs> Excuse me. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, all faith, so as to move mountains, and I don't have love, I am nothing. If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, if I become a martyr, if I get killed for the faith, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love, and he starts to describe it. Love suffereth long and is kind. It does not envy. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. It does not behave unseemly. It seeketh not its own. It is not provoked. It taketh account of evil. It rejoiceth not in unrighteousness, but in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. But whether the prophecies, oh, they'll be done, they'll come to fruition. They'll be done away with. Whether there be tongues, they'll cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, all that's going to be past. When Jesus comes, prophecy is done. When Jesus comes, knowledge is over. There, there is no more. Everything's come to fulfillment then. That which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I felt as a child. I thought as a child. Now that I've become a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know fully, even as also I was fully known. But now about a faith, hope, and love. These three, and the greatest is love. He defines it for us, you know. Uh, our world is in a desperate condition, boy, everywhere. Uh, I think we would all agree on that. We have a lot of self-calls, self-styled tec technicians that can fix anything, right? Uh, but they can't fix humanity. All their things uh, cause all kind of problems, but they do not. What they do is uh, they relieve symptoms of our problem but never fix our problem. Because they can't with what they're trying to fix it with. And that's exactly where we are. <coughs> what the world needs now is love. Y'all remember that song? 
Was that Jackie DeShannon who sang that? No, Merle didn't sing this one. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was Dionne Warwick, wasn't it? Jackie DeShannon sang another one. Who is that? A long time ago. That's who she was. How do you know that? Because it was real time with me. You know what that means? When it came out, I was alive. I heard it. That's what that means. Jesus talking about in the last days. We'll come to that in Revelation. Because iniquity shall abound, sin, evil, shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. Don't care anymore. Well, we're seeing that, right? Uh, I mean, it's worse than I've ever seen in my life in the United States. Uh, it just is. It's a fact. Today our world, or many of its leaders, they don't even know what a woman is. How do they know what love is? They don't know the difference between a biological boy and a biological girl. How in the world are they going to figure out what love is and how it works out? You know, I agree with Jordan Peterson. If you, if you can't figure that one out, forget about fixing anything else. <laughs> Am I right? You know, and boy, that's where we are, uh, unfortunately. Does the world really think it knows what love is? You remember Charlie Brown, he says, does anyone know what Christmas is about? And who fixed it for him, remember? Linus. He comes in and quotes Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2. He said, this is what Christmas is about. You know, uh, by and large, our world, uh, they do not know what it is. Hollywood sells us an idea that has so confused our youth that no wonder we have the mess that we have in the country. Why? Because that's what they're trying to do, and unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians buying into that system because we see them trying to live that out. They don't know what it is. And we wonder uh, because there's, it's so confusing what love is supposed to look like. Why? Satan wants to kill the kind of love that God offers. He wants to ruin the family, and that's what we see happening right now. You know, when you have a gender mess up like you have now, what does that do to the family? It deteriorates. It's gone. And once that's gone, everything else declines. You know, that's what you see. He wants to bring death to the innocent, the children. Drag queens in front of first graders. Hello. You know, that's what we're talking about. The innocence of your children. He wants uh, to kill purity, all happiness. He's trying to do away with all that. And he's doing a pretty good job. And he's using a lot of our government to do it right now. And not just our government. You, you listen to other people across the world, the same thing. You know, what, what is going on in some of those places Satan is using governments to, to ruin the family system over there as well as over here. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. He's, he wants to do all of it. He's a murderer. That's exactly what Jesus said. What? He's a thief. He's a killer, liar from the very beginning. He wants to distort what God says love really is. And that's exactly what Paul says it is here. He wants to destroy our family. Uh, boy, and he's doing a pretty good job. Why? Because the family is the basic unit of society. What did God start with? A family. That's where it all came from. That's where it all holds together. When that falls apart, we have what we're seeing now, uh, the deterioration of it. Take away our families and our church is decimated, our city is decimated, our nation. Everything is affected when the family unit is destroyed. But that's his plan. And the way he's doing it is a distortion of what love really is. That, that's, what he, that's one of the main ways he's doing it. He wants to deceive us. And that's exactly what he's doing. Now, the value of love. When, you say, when he says love and you define that, it actually means a Christ-like love, a love that is indispensable. 
that you can't do away with. You know, if, if you'll do this, then I'll love you. If you do this, then I'll love you. It's not like that. No, there, there's no substitute for this one. And that's God's love. And Satan tries to mess it up. And he goes through this long list. He says, it's greater than oratory. It's greater than Shakespeare. It's greater than any, the greatest Joel Osteen that you can ever hear. <laughs> or whoever. Speakers and preachers, you know, they can put on a big show a lot of times, but a lot of times they don't love people. They just kind of go through the motions. It's a, it's a job. You know, that's what he says in 2 Thessalonians. He says, you know, when I came here, Paul said, he said, I came to invest my life with you. I don't come here and just show up on Sunday morning and just pitch something out there at you. He says, he says I'm, I'm here to share my life with you. There's a whole difference in that. Somebody who can, there's a lot of people that put on a good show when they're speaking, but they don't love anybody. You can do that. It doesn't have to be there. It's greater than any prophecy. You know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. If we start monitoring, when we start talking about Revelation, more people are going to come. Especially when we get in those end times. We, we want to know about that. Why? Why you want to know about that? How about how you're living now? Hadn't you rather know about how you need to treat your spouse or your family or somebody? You know, you, you want to get a crowd? Start talking about some of that stuff. Everybody's interested. Why? Why is that? But they don't really want to talk about what they need to do to fix their life right now. You know, that's exactly right. They're going to preach a series on sermon on prophecy. I guarantee you, we start watching this. We get to the closer time in the end of Revelation. It's going to happen. It will. That ain't why we're doing it. Okay? That is not why we're doing it. It's to try to make, maybe, help us understand a few things. Because, you know, we're living in that last days. We don't know really when that's going to happen. But it, there's nothing wrong with trying to understand it, just like the rest of the Bible. <coughs> it is greater than knowledge. You know, the, Paul was always dealing with that. And Timothy were, you know, there was a group called uh, Gnostics, Gnosticism. And they thought everything handled, hinged on how much they knew. You just had to know the right stuff. And then you were right with God. Um, that's not it either. <laughs> John Wesley the founder of Methodism. You know, people get that confused. You know, he was not a Methodist, right? He was an Anglican. The Methodist church started after him because they saw his method. You know, people kind of, a lot of people who come to us the first time, they say, why don't you give an invitation? You know, John Wesley didn't give an invitation like people think it should be done now. He would meet with people in a small room behind there uh, afterwards because a lot of times he's preaching outside and talk with them. You know, this is what he said. All knowledge without love is splendid ignorance. <laughs> There's a lot of people who have educated far beyond their uh, understanding. You know, uh, we just don't get it. He said, oh, no, there, love is greater than that. A lot of people can talk a big show. It's greater than faith, he says. Wow, what? Faith is indispensable. You have to have faith to get saved. You know, you have to have faith to see Jesus again. You have to. We're not doing away with that. It's incredibly important, absolutely. You cannot know God without faith that Jesus was God in the flesh, born of a virgin. John says that in the gospel. But he says, look at this. Even if you had faith, if you had enough faith that you could do miraculous things, move mountains. But if, if you didn't have love, it wasn't it, it's, it's not better than love. He said, no. You had, he says, it's nothing when you compare it. He said, is it really that important? It really is. How does it flesh itself out? What good is it to move a mountain if you can't move malice out of your heart? If you can't forgive somebody, what, what difference does it make if you can move a mountain? That's what malice is, right? He'll come to that one in just a minute. 
is greater than feeding the poor. You know, there's a lot of churches and a lot of organizations get sidetracked on, oh, we got to feed the poor, but we never tell them the gospel. What are you doing? Just keep them to live longer before they go to hell. You know, you, you share food with them and share the gospel with them at the same time. That's it. You can, you can give without loving. A lot of people do that. But really, you cannot love without doing something, without giving in some manner. That's what he says. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about here. It's greater than martyrdom. You know, it's not hard-pressed now in, in, uh, in some societies and some religious systems. You know, if, if you're a militant Muslim, if you get killed in the process, you automatically have a place in heaven. That's how they get them to do it. Uh, you remember during the Japanese War, what would they call those pilots? Kamikazes. They were willing to die, fly the plane into somebody. If somebody's willing to kill themselves, you know, they are not really care about anybody else as much. But there's a lot of people, that's it. He says, it's greater than martyrdom, even if you're willing to kill yourself. You know, he says, what? Though I give my body to be burned, yet if I don't have love, what good is it? It's not any good. Love is the key. There are people who will blow themselves up. Why? Blow up somebody. They'll blow themselves up just to be able to kill somebody else. You know, that he said, that doesn't matter. If, if love's not involved, it doesn't mean. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. The virtue of love is patience. Oh, boy. How about that one? I don't do as well as I used to. You know, I'm, I guess I've gotten to the place where I think you should know better than that. So why are you acting like a fool, you know? And Debbie said, you can't do that. I'm sorry. I'm old enough now. It doesn't really matter what somebody else thinks. When you need to confront somebody, you need to confront somebody in love. <laughs> but sometimes uh, I don't, I'm not doing the best in this as I used to. You say, well, you know, I don't have much love if I don't have some patience. That's what he's saying. If I really love, I'm going to be able to find. And see, every one of these things, you don't just get them when you commit your life to Jesus. You have to learn these and exercise these. That's what the tool Timothy says. What? Exercise yourself unto godliness. You know, if I want to show Jesus love, I have to train myself to be patient. I have to train myself. Well, it's just not my, it's not my, in uh, my DNA. Well, you better work on it. That's what he says. If you love, that's what it's going to be. A lack of patience literally is long-suffering. means that's what he says. Be patient. It's a, and if we're not patient, it's a lack of love. Uh, that's what it means. That's what he says. Well, I, you know, that's just, I'm, I just give that word of prophecy and that's what, no, you're, uh, you're unkind is what you are. There's more than one way to say it. What is kindness? It's the little things, not just big things. Another word for kindness is courtesy. Boy, how about that one? Courtesy, that's a thing kind of gone, isn't it? Used to. Guys would hold doors open for girls. Now, if you do it, they get mad. A lot of them. Feminists have said, well, what are you doing? You know, I told that story about Jerry Clower a few weeks ago. How, you know, when he got up to give that lady a seat, she just, man, went raged out on him. She was, she was the she-coon of the feminists. You know what that means. She was the mother of it. And she got mad at him because he got up and gave her a seat. 
And he said, oh, I have to. My ancestors would come up out of the grave and get me if I didn't do that. Courtesy. Another word is courtesy. Just being kind. Boy, that's kind of strange, too. You still see it every now and then, but not like you used to. I mean, it just you just don't. Why? We're not training our kids to be courteous. You know, that's where it's coming from. We don't train them that. This is part of it. This is how you should act. Where are they going to get it from? They don't get it off Google. And they're not going to get it off TikTok. They're the, main, they're the most important person. You'd be courteous and somebody would get in the door before you. <laughs> right? It's not jealous. Boy, <laughs> I don't mean just jealous in relationships, okay? You know, God said he was jealous, right? And, and God is jealous with our commitment to him. That's not what we're talking about in that regard. It's a horrible, terrible thing if in the sense that, you know, you're always jealous if someone gets the place instead of you. Instead of you being proud that they got a better job or whatever, you're jealous because you didn't get it. You know, you're jealous because they, they had a break that you didn't have. Instead of being glad that they got a break, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about relationship jealous. Uh, God said he was jealous about us, that he wanted us by himself not uh, to serve other gods. But that's not it. You're going to be willing to give credit when credit is due. You know, out in this dog-eat world, you, you know, if you can cut somebody off and get their position, you don't let them take credit for something they've done. You steal it off, and if you can, pass it off as your own. It's called plagiarism, right? What are they doing with Harvard right now with that? Nothing. Well, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, that kind of stuff. Just everybody can get away with it now. Uh, but that's what that means. You, you, you want the best for somebody else. You don't just, you're not jealous, and you try to uh, interrupt something for them, but you're, you're glad for them. That's actually what it means. You'll be able to praise with others and be happy with others. You're not going to think that somebody else's uh, gain is your loss. You know, you know, that's what Peterson always says. You need to help somebody be the best they can, and in doing that, you'll be better yourself. That's, that's a concept from Jesus. Love thy neighbor as who? As me. <laughs> I want the best for me. So if I'm going to love them like I love myself, I want the best for them. And always and the best for them is always going to be the best for me and the best for us. It's humble. <laughs> you know, there's a country song about that, right? It's hard to be humble when you're what? Perfect in so many ways. Isn't that right? I can say I'm sorry. I can say I'm sorry. That's being humble. Will you forgive me? Boy, I was wrong. I forgive you. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? I forgive you. It does not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. There's a lot of rude so-called Christians, obnoxious, and they think it's okay, being just being rude. People say, well, I just say what I think. No, you're rude. You're obnoxious. Uh, Mr. Drummond was the president of Southeastern Seminary for a few years. When it was moving from really liberal to uh, conservative, he was the president over there to several years while Debbie and I were over there. And he preached a sermon once, and he talked about it. He said, there's nothing that hurts Christianity more and he named all these horrible things that can hurt it. 
Nothing hurts it worse and brings reproach upon the, uh, on the name of Christianity than rude Christians. He's right. Rude. A lot of them just rude. That's, all, that's the only way you can define it. Does not behave unseemly. They're not rude. You know, uh, you can disagree with somebody and still not be rude. Right? Well, that's just the way I am. No, you're not sacred. You better work on that. <laughs> and remember now, every one of these, Jesus doesn't automatically, the day you trust him, automatically make every one of these things perfect in your life. You have to work on them. I have to work on them. I've said, you know, I can't live like that. I can't be rude. That's not right. Love doesn't act that way. Oh, I have the gift of prophecy. Don't ever excuse rudeness for anything else. We, there's no really reason for it. No, that's not it. It is unselfish. Seeketh not his own. We live in a selfish society right now. I mean, it is. It's all about me. Everything's about me. Well, I, you know, I don't have time to do this because I got to do this. What? For me. Moi. It's unselfish. It seeketh not his own. That's what that means. I have time to do some things that Jesus wants me to do. It ain't always about me. Begin to think about how we can show the love of the Lord Jesus. That's what all these things are about. We're talking about love and relationships. And, you know, boy, if you have a good relationship with someone, all these things come into play. You know, you're going to have to compromise. Uh, as long as you don't forfeit the principles that are right from Jesus, some things really, they just don't matter, right? When you come to that, say, well, you know, I'd like this, but I, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Is even tempered. What does that mean? You don't just blow your stack all of a sudden. Have a hair trigger. You know, things go wrong. You don't just explode. You know, you've been around people like that. Something happened. Boy, here we go. You better have a helmet on. It's going to be bad. In, I mean, and they're Christians. What does that say to the lost world out there? They have no control whatsoever. A hair trigger. It's not suspicious. It's not paranoid. You know, not always thinking the worst that somebody's thinking about them. Paranoid. You don't know what that means? Not always suspicious. That's, that's what it means when he's talking about it. It is victorious. Look at that. It never, love always wins. In all these situations, you show love, <coughs> it always wins. Always wins. It's eternal. Never pass away. That's what he says. The greatest virtue is more important than education. It's more important than ability. It's more important than money. Good looks. More important than prophecy. All these things, all those things are going to pass away. You know, why, why are Everybody's so, why is everyone so concerned about the way they get looked, the way they start to look when they get older? You know, these people you see on television, they've gone out and spent how much and, and they look like death all the time. You know what I mean? And you say, my goodness, you look worse than ever. You know, why? Because they, they worry about their looks. Am, am I right or wrong? Why, why else would you do that? I, I would say something, but I better not. I'm getting in real big trouble with this one. But some of the things they do, I'm thinking, wh where did that concept come from? You know? 
but that's it. It's gone. I don't care how good a shape you keep yourself in. Whenever you die, that part's gone. You wasted all kind of money for nothing because, you, you know, that's just the way it goes. It's coming. It is the greatest commandment. How many times when Jesus was confronted, what did he say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That is the first and the greatest commandment. Huh. And the second is like it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If that is the greatest commandment, and you're going to hang those two on all the law and the prophets, everything that's ever been written, you can hang those two up at the top. Everything else comes under that. That's the most important. If you want to sum it all up, this is what you say. Love God with everything you own, with everything you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's how you sum it up. If that is, if that is the greatest, then what would be the greatest sin? Not doing it. Wouldn't it? He says the greatest is this. So if you don't do that, then you would, you're committing the greatest sin by not loving the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and then loving your neighbor yourself, right? If they fail to love, because that would be breaking the greatest of the commandments. If we don't work on our love and how it displays, then we are breaking the greatest commandment that Jesus said that we need to obey. Love him first with everything we are. That's why he says that. Heart, soul, mind, money, everything. And then our neighbor is ourself. And it's the greatest testimony. That's what he says in all these verses. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are not lovely, eh? So-called Christians, but they're not very lovely. It is not giving me what I deserve. It's giving me what I need. That's what real love is. You know, what are you going to do to keep your child out of the highway so they don't get killed? You know, that's what we're talking about. Real love is saying, I will love you, and I will do you good, regardless of what you do to me. Boy, that's tough. I read where one lady, she had a bunch of sheep, and uh, the neighbor had a bunch of dogs that he didn't keep in the pen, and they were always getting out and uh, killing her sheep. And she was a Christian, and she figured out, how can I deal with this? Because he was lost, and, you know, he she She'd figure out, what can I do? This has got to stop. So what she did was, the next uh, lamb she had, she took it and gave it to this man's kids. Guess what? He said, well, I can't let the dogs out. They'll kill the kid's lamb, so he shut the dogs up. Stop that. She led him to Christ because the lamb, the last one that his dogs had killed she cooked something and took it to him and fed him with it. How about that? That's what that means. You know, regardless of you do to me, you know, that's exactly what uh, Schultz and Nietzsche learned. He said, you know, you, you can't, you know, he, he's, he's suffering in prison camp. He said, you cannot make me hate you. You know, I've come to that point. No matter what you do to me in here, you cannot make me hate you. Boy, that's tough. That's what he's talking about here. That's what true love is. You had to work to that. Again, the moment you trust Jesus, that doesn't just happen. We have to learn how to be obedient and see. Paul said, this is what love is. Work on it. Whatever you need to do, you need to get some help. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If what? You love one another. Take all those things that we just looked at, and you're displaying those. 
He said, that's how I know you're, you're one of mine. It's the greatest motivation. Remember this old song? Love so amazing, so divine, demands what? My soul, my life, my all. That's an old hymn by Isaac Watts, by the way. You don't see that one song anymore. <laughs> what? Love amazing. My greatest motivation is everything that you've done for me, I'm going to give everything I have to you. That's what it means. That's what it is. Is the love of Jesus the greater motivation? You know, actually, he kind of puts out their test. If there's not any of these things present in your life and you're working on them, there's a good reason to believe you're not even saved. That's what he's saying there. This is going to be part of it. You're going to start working on it. And you see somebody said, oh, yeah, I'm so, and none of these things are ever present in life. Why would you think you've been born again? He said, why? Because if, if you love me, you're going to do these things. You're working on them anyway. You know, love is tough, ain't it? It is. But Jesus said, hey, just remember that on those days when you said, I can't do it. Just remember, why did Jesus love you? Why did Jesus love me? <laughs> That's what love is. <coughs> We're going to pray in, uh, what time is it? Do we have enough time? Because we get to, no, that's at the second service, Shane, not this one. When, whenever we start to leave after they sing, uh, there'll be a, a the little candy thing at the back door in the front. I think Danny and Deborah is going to help us. Just get you a handful of it, whatever that is, eight or ten pieces. You know, don't fill up your shopping bag, but get you eight or ten pieces of it, a good handful. Uh, and uh, it's all, there's none of it sugar-free, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, if you're diabetic, I'm sorry. All right? <laughs> but let's pray, and they're going to sing. And don't forget to get that. Have a great Valentine's Day if we don't see you again before then. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for you showing us exactly how it's exemplified. Lord, help us. Help us to see what we need to work on in our own life, the things that we need help with so that we can truly be called your disciple and the rest of the world would want to know you because of the way we live that out. Thank you for your patience with us. Help us strive to show better our, our love for you and the way we love others. In Jesus' name, amen.